How are we feeling today? You good? Why don't we try smiling? Come on, every time you smile, your brain does not know whether it's a, oh, look at that Adele and Paul having a, oh, that's a nice little kiss. That's good. Yeah, it's nice, Mary. That's good. <laughs> Why don't you smile? You know, your brain does not know if it's real or fake, so it releases the chemical endorphins anyway and actually makes you happy just because you pulled your teeth out. So why don't you just smile? Come on, smile at the person next to you. Give them a little laugh. That would just brighten your day. That was a bit evil, Ben. That sounds a bit jokerish. It's as far as you can smile, Jamie, is it? That's a good smile, mate. You look good. You look good. I want you to enjoy church. I want you to enjoy it, not endure it. And... Uh, Although the preach is going to last around an hour today, so give, good luck. And uh, it's not, I'm kidding, Brenda, it's okay. And uh, I just want you to enjoy it. I want you to get excited about hearing these things, about hearing what God's doing um, with the guys in Greece. And I think our next trip really is actually to the hospital, St. Peter's Hospital. So a team, we're going to be going to St. Peter's Hospital in, in May. Um, so we're just getting out there. And when I say we, I mean... All of us. Turn to the person next to you and say, that means you. We would love for all of you to go on some form of mission work, either to the local area or into Europe. Um, just get involved. And uh, Julia came on this trip, my mother-in-law. It was exciting to have her on the trip. And I just wanted to let you know that like, it's all kinds of ages, all right? I'm using her as an example because I'm related to her. So that's why I used her. But you can't, and I love it. You know, we had a 40-year age gap between the youngest and the oldest member of our mission trip. And I, I, I but it's important to hear. It's important to hear. And I'm using Julia because she knows I love her. It's important to hear because this is for everybody. And you don't know who you're going to meet out there. And you don't know what they need. They might not want some young person. They might want a mum. They might, you know what I mean? They might, that's what they might need. And when we had the kids work this time, Lorraine and Marcia did a great job. And if you see Lorraine, will you just hug her as well? They just worked. I mean, they had to get there at early o'clock. And um, they were there all day loving kids and just being a mum to them. And that's what they needed. So please know we need you. We need you involved. We need you, whether that's at the hospital, whether that's in a refugee camp in Greece, or whether that's at a church in Estonia, we need you. We need you. We need you. We need you. You have significance. You have significance. You mean something. You mean something. God does not do things by accident. So when you were created, it was not an accident. You were not just born to your parents at that place at that time in history. It's not how it works. In fact, Acts 17, 26 tells us that God destines the times and places in which man should live. You were made for a reason, Ruth. You were made for a purpose. The gifting, the skill set, the understanding, the knowledge, the, the personality, all mixed in you for a purpose. You look the way you look. You sound the way you sound. You were born the way you were born because of a reason. I do not know how significant you would consider that reason. I'm not saying that you'll be the president of the United States. Well, you won't be able to be. You, might, you won't be the prime minister of England. I didn't mean you personally. I meant all of us because we don't live in America. That's why. You may not be the prime minister. You may not own Amazon. 
You may not create the iPhone. You may not walk on Mars. I know some of you are hungry to do that, Jack. You may not walk on Mars. The history books may not write your name down, but you have purpose. And I don't know about you, but the history books don't go to heaven. When we go to heaven, it is God who's kept an account of what we've done. And let me tell you, the most significant thing you can do with your life is do as God told you to do. If God told you to work in that place and serve in that way and park those cars and serve those coffees and and teach those kids and, and nurse those people, if that's what God told you to do, if God told you to be a mother or to be a father, if God told you to be a grandmother or a grandfather, let me tell you, that is the most significant thing you could do. And in fact, if you try to become something significant in this world, but you miss what God has asked you to do, if you sacrifice the calling of God to reach something attainable in this world, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? The most important thing you can do is exactly what God told you to do. That is where your significant lies, Caroline. And I mean it. Your significance does not land because somebody thanked you. Your significance does not come because you managed to get social media gathering or following. It does not come because everybody agrees with your opinion or your decision. It's not where significance comes, is it, Brian? Significance comes from the fact that the king of all kings, the person who spoke and the universe was created, said, you You are so significant to me that I will die on a cross that you might have life. Because Christ said you're significant, because Christ called you a son or a daughter, that is what makes you significant. I don't know why, but this is not even in my preach. This is is a minor introduction, but I believe it is for someone today. I want you to believe in who you are, in whose you are, in who he says you are. Stop basing significance on the things of this world. Stop looking at yourself saying, I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm not fit enough, I'm not funny enough, I'm not smart enough, I don't have the right qualifications. You do not need anything else apart from what God says over you. Can I, I'm going to go through the Bible today and I'm going to show you different people that God used and that everybody else considered them nothing. Who did Jesus pick as the disciples, the 12 people to lead the church, to start the church, to the thing that right now has around 2 billion followers, the thing that you come to right now and you come and be part of, who did Jesus choose? He chose the least of the least, the ones that didn't make it through education, the ones that weren't smart enough so they had to go work with dad. They didn't make it through school. They were, by the people who they thought were significant, they turned to them and said, you are not good enough. And yet Jesus came along and said, you don't need to be good enough. I am good enough. Jesus Christ is good enough. I will make it right in your life. I say you're significant. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you today? In fact, the truth is, Christ is the only truly significant one. I just get to be labeled with him. My father is significant. He's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. Where does my power come from? Well, I'm connected to him. 
I have no power of my own. Are you believing this this morning? Are you receiving what I'm saying? You're going to have to help me preach today. I want you to preach to you. That's why I get you to help me to preach. You know that, right? I don't need the help, right? I got, I got mine. I'm getting you to preach to you. Tell yourself, I'm significant. Come on, put a hand on your heart. Say, I'm significant because Christ says so. Come on, I am significant because Christ says so. Do you believe it? It's a struggle to say yes, right? I want you to believe it. I need to believe that simply being obedient to Christ is what's going to make you significant. Has that warmed you up to hear the word today? Fantastic. That wasn't my intention, but we'll go with it. We're going to carry on our series, Prepare the Way. We're looking at what Jesus did leading up to Easter uh, next week. And we're looking particularly at the passage where he entered Jerusalem on the donkey. And uh, next week is our Easter Sunday. And we are excited about it. Are you? Are you bringing everyone? Trust me, if there is a week to bring everyone, it is next week. When I say everyone, literally anyone you walk past, just say, come, come with me, come with me. See if, see if they can follow you, it might be. Next week, we're going to go all out for it. In fact, I'm going to let you in on a few little secrets if you want to know some secrets. Am I allowed to share secrets? Just check with the wife. As you already know, we've got a choir singing. The kids and the youth are joined together and they're going to do uh, a little something for us, which is going to be proven entertaining. But also, we're going to go full out with the way that we make this place look. We've actually brought a bunch of fake grass and we're going to put it on the floor and we're going to get plants on the side as a triumphal entry, just as they laid down palm leaves. We're going to lay down a load of green stuff. If you have a plant at home, bring it. Um, literally, bring it. I don't, that's not even a joke. Put your plants in your car bring them so that this place looks like a jungle so that when your friends come in they go is this church and you go oh yes this is church but when they come in they think this is not what I expected it to look like where are the stained glass windows where are the wooden pews and you say ah oh, no man this is flow church we go creative here so they come in already open I believe in atmosphere I do that's why I pick certain restaurants not based on their food, but based on the atmosphere. When, when they come in, I want them to walk in and go, there's something special about this place. There's something different about these people. And then we're going to preach the gospel. I'm going to preach the gospel as straight as I can. For 10 minutes, I promise, I, will, I promise that time, I will not go over. Only with you guys do I preach for ages. And then we're going to invite them to know Jesus Christ. If you have been praying for your family or friends, get involved right now. Bring them that they might hear the gospel. I've invited my brothers. Let's hope they come. And they're going to hear the gospel once again. They've heard it many times from me. But again, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I'm not going to look down on things. That's my word today, by the way. I'm not going to look down on it. I'm going to believe that tomorrow, that next week is a significant Sunday for somebody. Amen? Amen. All right. Take a deep breath. That was an intense start. Woo! All right, pull out your Bibles. We're going to read this passage together. Go to Matthew 21. Everyone got their Bibles? If you haven't, do not worry. It's going to come up on the screen. But if you do have a Bible at home, try and bring it. 
so that you can see it for yourself, get used to your own Bible. Okay, should I read this in an accent or should I just do it normally? No, I'm not going to read the Bible in an accent, people. Come on, holiness, people. Reverence before the Lord. Uh, now, when they drew near, verse 1, to Jerusalem and came to Bethage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her, and tie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them. Try that next time you're going shopping. When they ask you why you're taking it out, you just say, the Lord needs them. (laughs) Don't worry. Are you thinking, did Jesus steal this? Trust me, he created it. He can take it if he wants, okay? And he would say, send them at once. This took place to fulfill what the spoken by the prophets, stay with me on this bit, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal, the foal of the beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. Church, please do as Jesus directed you to do. Do not alter the plan based on your own logic or experience. If God tells you to go and get a donkey, even though you think a horse would be nicer, you get a donkey. If God tells you to behave in a certain way, to speak in a certain way, to stop swearing, to stop doing this, to stop doing that, just do it. Do not base it on your logic. God told me when I was very young, Liam, you will never drink alcohol. And even though I read the Bible and said, well, Jesus drank some alcohol, even though I argued with God, even though I saw other Christians doing it, tell you what, God said it to me, I just did it. And then I remember coming into spaces in my life, especially as a youth pastor. And when I first started, there was a problem with drinking. And you know how encouraging it is to stand before them and say, well, I've never drunk. And you don't have to. Jesus' way is the best way. You do not know why God has asked you to do something. Just Do it as he directed you to do. Thought that deserved an amen, but it's all right. I'll let it go. Amen. You're all thinking about all the things. If you say amen, you're going to have to go, okay, I'm going to have to sort that one out and change that. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. I've been there. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on it, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and other branches cut down from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds they went before him and, and that followed him, sorry, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Sorry, I thought I'd make it real. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, save now. That's what it means. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up thousands of people. This is a festival, people. They're all stirred up saying, who is this man thinking he can stroll in here on a donkey? Who is he? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Fascinating Bible passage, would you agree? Did you have a lot of questions while reading it or was it just me? They're they're just practicing this bit, obviously. Shouting Hosanna to Jesus. I had a lot of questions for this passage, and I'm really hoping 
you're going to help me preach today. Yes? Fantastic. I want you to engage with me. I want you to speak back with me. I want you to celebrate what hopefully I'm going to say because I didn't have as much time as I thought I'd have on a mission trip. Don't know why I thought I'd have any time, but I didn't have very much. And I felt like there was a word burning in my heart and I received it and I wanted to get it prepared as much as I could. But I don't think I've done enough, but I believe there is a word for you this morning. And I hope and I pray in Jesus' mighty name that it comes out of me. So would you do me a favor and just at least smile at me today, help me get it out, help me draw out the word, please. I am not enough, okay? I cannot just do it by myself. If we just come here and sit here and just think, wait till, um, wait till he's over, we're never going to get anything from God. Pull some stuff out of me today, please. The question I had is why a donkey? Seriously, you're the son of God. You could have a shark. <laughs> Anyone else? Want to? That's why God did not let me be in charge, because I would have picked a shark. Or I would have got a lion probably and put some wings on that thing and had it fly on in and land. Would you, that, anyone else? T-Rex. Fantastic. I know that Tim would have had the Millennium Falcon just fly in even though they'd have no idea what it is because Star Wars is nowhere near created, you'd have still flown in on it just because you would know. Jesus, man, you could have had anything. In fact, there's even some more logical choices to have. There's more logic to it. If Jesus just applied logic, the prophet says, behold, the king is coming to you. Now, a king does not ride a donkey, people. Kings ride horses, thoroughbreds, stallions. We're talking the nice-looking ones, the huge ones, that when you see them, you're slightly intimidated. And that would have represented a king. In fact, not only would it have represented he was a king, if he rode in on a horse, he would have told everyone, I'm here for war. If you ride into a town as an opposing king and you ride into that town, you're saying, I'm here for business. I'm here to win something back. I'm here for victory. And wasn't Jesus going to war? That would have made more logical sense. Okay, fair enough. You don't want a horse. Why not an elephant? People used elephants in those times. They used elephants to show dominance, power. Look at me and my elephant. Prince Ali kind of section. That's what I've had. I've had a musical show as I entered. That would have been cool, wouldn't it? Why not ride an elephant? Show your power, Jesus. Show them who you really are. You ain't got nothing on me. I'm more powerful than all you. Look at my elephant. Or why not camel? Camels are around. In fact, it would have shown that he's quite rich. Why don't you have many camels? If you walked in with 100 camels, everyone would have said, this guy is the guy. This guy. That's the one you want. Man, he's the rich guy. He's the guy of influence. He's the guy of significance. He's the guy. He's the best of the best. Look at him. He outshines us. He outmoves us. Look at him. Why not do that? What did Jesus use? Donkey. In fact, in fact, I got it wrong. I got it wrong. It wasn't a donkey. It was a colt. That's a donkey's kid. He used the, the beast of burden, the prophet says. A beast of burden. He used the least of the beasts. And not even that, but he used the least of the least of the beasts by having the kid. 
A donkey was not low enough. I had to go lower, Jesus is saying through the prophet. I had to go lower. I had to get something that's even lower than the donkey. I had to take the donkey's kid. That's what I want to carry me in. That's what I want to demonstrate who I am. That's what I want people to see in me. God, why are you wanting us to see this? What is going on? Jesus is saying, I want to come in in humility. I want to come in in peace. That's what the donkey means. I want to come in peace. I want to come in humility. I want to come low. I want to come in low. I don't want to come in higher and more significant and better than everybody. I want to come in and I want to appear insignificant. I want people to really ask, are you sure? Yeah, you're talking about your Messiah, your King, the one that you've all been waiting for. Are you sure? Are you sure you've got it right, mate? Look at him. Look at him. In fact, this was not only this one time with Jesus. Jesus constantly in his life looked for areas to make himself least. When he was born, he was born to a virgin. Already then, she's ostracized from the community. Then he's born to a mom and a dad, Joseph and Mary. And we reckon in the Bible, the, the history books tell us that we, we believe and we kind of reckon it's hard to prove, but that Joseph died when Jesus was very young. So Jesus grew up in a single-parent, ostracized family. And not only that, but he grew up as a poor person. He grew up as a lowly carpenter. Sorry if you are a carpenter in here, that's not an offense to you, that's just the significance of the Bible. He came in low. He came in the least of the least. In fact, when he would have been riding on that donkey, I'm sure some people would have said, hang on a second, isn't that the carpenter's boy? Are you sure he's your, are you sure you've got the right guy? He does not look impressive to me. He doesn't look significant. And not only that, but he came from Nazareth, a place where nothing happened, out there, nowhere. I wonder if you feel like that about where you come from. Stains. Whenever I say stains, I've planted a church in stains. They're like, isn't that where Ali G is? Uh, it's upon Thames now. See what we did there? Changed our name. Why? We wanted to appear more significant. Jesus came from Nazareth. I'm excited when I say in the future, where did this all begin? Where did this massive movement that God did, where did it all begin? Stains. Upon Thames. Now, I don't even say that anymore. I want it to appear. I want it to appear least. I want it to appear least. Jesus came from Nazareth. Are you sure you got the right guy? Where's his horse? Where's the sharks that fly? Come on, he's the son of God. I just found what I laughed when I thought about that. Or he could have had a thousand snails and just they could have all just carried him. Really slowly. This guy came from a very insignificant place. He lived a very insignificant 30 years. Do you, I find it fascinating that Jesus lived for 30 years before anybody knew anything about him. He spent 30 years just in enjoyment. 
That's what I think Jesus did in those 30 years. Just enjoyed living. No stress about what does the world know about me. No stress about of people liking me. No stress about am I significant and I'm important. None of that. Because he knew that his future was in the hands of God. He just spent his 30 years just being. Just being. I wonder what it looked like for us as a church if we stopped stressing about what is to come and just looked at being in the moment. This guy comes in riding not just a donkey, but a colt. I want to appear the least. Why? Why are you doing it like this, Jesus? Why am I sharing this with you today? Because I want us to see, and I want us to be the type of church that can shout Hosanna to something that appears to be the least. Why is Jesus doing this? Because Jesus knows what he's about to start. They reckon this is two weeks before the time when he is on the cross. So he is about to start these few days, I don't know, week to two weeks, where he is going to look like the least of everybody. And he needs to know, church, disciples, crowd, it's easy for you to yell when you think I'm coming to overthrow the Romans. It's easy for you to yell when I'm looking impressive. It's easy for you to praise God when the healing has arrived. It's, 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 it's easy to praise God when you've just seen a family member come to Christ. It's easy to praise God when he's given you the word that exactly you needed at exactly the right time. It's easy to praise God when the money is in the bank account, people. But are you willing to praise God when things look insignificant? Are you ready to praise God when things look the least of everybody else? Are you ready to shout, Hosanna, God in the highest, when you can't even see how he's going to do it? How is this one carpenter from Nazareth supposed to set us free from all that is oppressing us, all the Romans, all the sickness, all this stuff? How is he supposed to do it? Are you able in that point to say, why it does not matter if I cannot see it, I live by faith, not by sight. So blessed is he, the one that rides on the colt, Hosanna in the highest. You're going to help me preach today. He knew his week was going to get worse. He may have looked insignificant there, but I bet I tell you it's about to get a lot more worse. Doesn't make sense. A lot more insignificant. The people that follow him are even going to be tested in this. The people that stood behind him like a boxer entering the ring. As he's walking in on his colt, they're looking going, yeah, yeah, I'm with him. Yeah, 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 I'm with him. Even they are going to get tested. Because this week is the week when he's going to get arrested. They're going to arrest him. Now, I'll just give you a little side point here. When they arrest Jesus, one of my favorite moments of Scripture, read it. They arrest Jesus, and they say, are you Jesus? He says, I am he. He's so powerful, they all fall over. Just by him speaking. I love that bit, because he's just trying to demonstrate, if I wanted to, You're trying to arrest Superman here. Put handcuffs on me only by my will. If I wanted to, I could just pull him apart. He literally says, I am here, and they all fall over. Just love it. Anyway, that's besides the point. He's going to get arrested. And he's going to get marched around the streets. They're going to laugh at him. They're going to mock him. 
They're going to put a crown of thorns on his head. They're going to beat him. You're going to see him walking. They're going to slap him in the face as he goes. And you are going to stand there watching him. And he is not going to appear significant. He's going to look the least of the least. He's going to look like that moment where you, you don't even want to be involved. Give some respect to Peter. I know he denied him, but can you blame him? I have Christians deny him at work, and they've never even had to go through anything like the pressure that Peter faced. And then he's going to get marched, and then he's going to get tied to a post, and they're going to whip him, and they're going to beat him, and he's going to barely be able to stand. Is he going to look significant once he's taken a beating? And then not only that, he's going to have to then carry the cross and he's going to carry it down the road to Golgotha where he's going to be crucified and he's going to carry it and he's going to be so tired, so drained, so worn out that he's actually going to drop it. He can't, this is, this is not a superhero scene, people. This is not William Wallace. He's not going to carry it like some triumphant hero saying, well, I don't care, I can take it. He's going to, pass out people. It's going to look pathetic. Trying to help you understand here, Jesus Jesus is purposely doing this. You understand that, right? If he wanted to, I'm Jesus, everyone falls over. Done. Game over. But he's choosing to appear the least of the least. What I love is even at the end of it, he's going to be crucified next to who? Celebrities? Kings? Queens? thieves. You're so low, Jesus, that you're going to crucify you next to thieves. Can you believe in him then? Can you shout Hosanna at that point? Do you need Jesus plus something to really believe? I'm preaching now, I'm preaching now. You feel it? Do you need something to happen that blesses you for you to really give God praise? Do you need to feel good before you come in on a Sunday to really give your praise to him? Or is the fact that he died enough for you to come in here and praise? He is looking incredibly insignificant. In this passage, the prophet speaks, and that prophecy comes from Zechariah 9.9. You can read it yourself. And in that prophecy, it starts with that bit. It starts saying, hey, behold, a king is going to come, humble, riding on a colt. Can you behold the least? Because if you behold the least, God has a habit of taking faith that is small as a mustard seed, and moving mountains with it. God has a habit of taking things that appear insignificant and using them for his glory. God has a habit of taking 12 rejects from education and using them to change the world. God is in the habit of using people just like you, just like me, to transform the world that we know. In the Zechariah 9.9, it starts saying that, can you behold the insignificant? Can you behold the least of the least? Can you behold the one that rides on a colt of a donkey? Uh, Can you behold it? Because if you behold it, 
if you behold it, the prophecy will continue. And the prophecy continues by saying God will then come and right every wrong. God will then come and bless your life. God will then come and show you his goodness. God will then come and shatter all your enemies. In fact, you read it's very graphic. God will come and send lightning bolts, it talks about. It's saying to you that if you behold the least of the least, there is nothing that God cannot do in your life. But if you must behold him when he's at his least, why on a donkey? Because he's testing you. Will you say, that's still my king? When your work doesn't like it, when your friends are bored of you, invite them to church, will you still stand up and say, well, I'm sorry, but that's my king? I know it's a bit weird, and I know we all sing, and I know we all pray out loud, and I know, you know, we're not the most impressive church ever to exist, but that's my king. I behold him when he's insignificant, because then I know the prophecy will continue. I know that he will come back again. Okay, do you, do you, are you with me? Are you taking this in? Let me, let me, let me, let's make it more practical. Can I have a moment to take a drink? We went to Greece last week. And we went to Greece, and we worked, and we worked. And probably about Thursday morning, Jack and I were sitting in the men's event. Refugees had come in, tried to have a shower, and I was just playing table tennis with them. I want you to know I did beat them, if that helps you at all with the story. In fact, there was one guy that did beat me, an older guy, actually. He was very, very good. But being a youth pastor for 10 years gives you some skills. And Jack and I were sitting there, and we asked ourselves a very challenging question. Are we really helping? That's a hard question to ask when you've built a church based on the principle of mission. Are we really helping? If, if our team had not gone last week, would have anything been different? In fact, not only that, but I've been challenged by other pastors when starting this church. I'm just, can I just be real with you? I'm not, this is not an insult to them. They said what they said because they believed it came from a place of wisdom or from God. No insult. But this is what they've said to me. A couple of them have said to me things like, Liam, short-term missions don't make a difference. They just impact the people that go. It's good for your people, but it's not really good for where you're going. You'll be more of a burden than a blessing. In fact, one pastor even told me, Liam, I think you're just doing this for your own ego. <laughs> I'll let God deal with that one. People look down on it. And even I got there. God, are we really making it? Why am I here? And me and Jack kind of looked at each other and we're like, what? are we actually helping? And we just kind of looked at each other and said, okay, well, let's just go for it. Let's try. Right? At least. It, we know we're not going to be of any help, so let's try something. And so Jack and I then kind of split up and went to just dive into conversations, which, you know, is really hard to do with guys that barely speak the language. And, you know, you have, you have very little in common. You can't just say, oh, how's, how's your week? Disastrous, thanks. Uh, what about yours? You know, you can't, you can't say, hey, you know, where are you from? All the normal questions that you use go out the window, and I promise I was, can I be real with you as a pastor? Can I be real? 
now come on, I need to be know that I can be honest and that this place is going to love me. Can I be real? I was paralyzed in that moment. God, I, I literally don't know what to do. In fact, I sat next to a couple in lunch, these two young guys, 19 years of age, twin brothers. And I was paralyzed. I, I even said to Jack, I was like, Jack, I don't know what to say. He's like, mate, just, just ask them something. I'm like, what do I ask them? What hobbies do you have? And then I, I just said, you know what, God, I'm just going to pray. And I just sat there while eating my Slovaki. It's very good, by the way, you'd enjoy it. And I'm eating it. And I'm saying, God, just prepare a way. I do not know what to do anymore. And then somehow, I don't even know how, naturally this conversation just begins to blossom. I start chatting to one guy in particular, 19 years of age, grew up in Iran. His family are a very middle-class Iranian family. He says, I used to go to school. I used to go out with my friends afterwards. We used to go and play football. We love football. I used to then go home for my violin lesson. I used to go home for my guitar lesson. Me and my twin brother. Then when he's there, he's dressed as though he's walking around in, in England. You would not even bat an eyelid if he walked downtown. Pulls out his phone. He's got his Instagram account. And we start chatting, and then he starts to tell me, you know, I've actually found Jesus while being a refugee. And I'm like, okay, well, now that's the story I need to hear. And he, while being a refugee, he's been in four nations in nine months. 19-year-old guy separated from his mom and dad who have made it to Sweden. He has not. Him and his twin brother are still in Greece, been there for four months. And uh, he starts telling me, while in Greece, he started going to the Helping Hands place where we served dinner, and he found Jesus. And then he begins to tell me all of his theories about God and what he thinks God means. And I mean, it's telling me stuff that I swear, you know, I've, I've seen Christians for decades not get. He starts explaining to me, he says, Liam, there's stuff in my life I cannot control. That only God can control. How many of you need to learn that lesson? Yeah. Maybe I'll get him to preach here one day. That would be cool, wouldn't it? And then he says, but there's stuff I can control. I said, what's in that bit? And he just went, well, just me. I can control me. And we start talking, we start talking, and it's getting deeper, and I'm just listening to him, and he's just, he's just excited to share. And I, uh, halfway through the conversation, I sort of say, I'm actually a pastor. And he's like, you're a pastor? And he gets so excited because he's actually chatting to a pastor. And he's like, normally they're really old. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I was like, no. Well, yeah, I'm a pastor. I'm just young. Yeah, I know. And I look even younger than 30. So they're like, wow, they thought you were like 19. I was like, no, I'm actually 30. And I'm chatting to him. He says, oh, can you help me? Can you help me? I said, yes, I can. What, what do you need? What, what's, and he said, I, there's something I really want from God. And I can't. And he's speaking in broken English. And he's like, I, I can't remember how it's pronounced. He looks around for the translator. The translator's not there. He starts. He's like, I, this, ah. he pulls out his phone. He's on Google Translate. And he's typing in all these different things. And different words keep popping up. And he's like, no, no, that's not right. And he keeps trying. And I'm thinking, what is he wanting? What is he looking for? And do you know what he types? He types, I really want the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, I realized exactly why I came to Greece. And without a shadow of a doubt, I knew that in this moment, that boy is going to receive the Holy Spirit so hard, he's going to have no idea what he I flew all the way to Greece. I've served dinners and I've been wondering why I'm here. And you, my friend, are the very reason why I'm here. 
I lay hands on him. I begin to pray for him. And he begins to receive the power of God in his life. I prophesy into him. I start speaking leadership potential in him. And after praying, he's like, can I really be a leader? I said, brother, you are a leader. It's an identity thing. I say, you've just got to steward the gift. And after we finish praying, he's just sitting there like he's just zoned out, like he's, you know, it just looks, if I didn't know a better way of saying it, it looks like he's a little bit drunk. He's just zoned out. And his brother comes over. He's like, what's happened? And I'm like, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. His brother's like, what? This is so cool. And I realized why I came to Greece. I do not look down anymore on the least of situations. I am not going to look down. I will never despise the day of small beginnings again. And church, I invite you to join me on this journey. Because there is something about Jesus that when you say, God, I believe in you, even though it's tiny as a mustard seed, he says, then watch me move a mountain. It's easy to believe when everything's going well. It's easy to come to this church when thousands are already coming. It's right now, right here, that we appear insignificant. Even Staines barely knows we exist. But I'm excited to be here. And I'm excited to be with you. Because you've chosen to believe in the beginning. in when it's been small. And we're going to see a move of God. And it's going to take over Staines. And it's going to flow into Europe. You don't believe me? You don't believe me? Read the Bible. God's in the habit of taking people that are insignificant and using them to change the world. Was King Saul not the least of his family? Was he not the least of his tribe? You're thinking, yeah, sure, why not, if you say so. Okay, well, think about David. David was so insignificant, they didn't even bother bringing him before the prophet. You stay out with the sheep, mate. This is, this is serious stuff. This is for significant people. Stay out there with the sheep. They didn't even consider him. But yet God said, it's in the insignificant. It's in the least of the least that I will use to raise up. Believe in the least of the least. Still don't believe me? Isn't it five little stones that then that little boy grabbed and threw at a giant? It wasn't Gideon the least of his clans. And wasn't Gideon actually the weakest of his family? Who did God pick? I want the least of the least. I want the humble. I want the low. I want those that don't mind riding in on a donkey. I, don't, I want those that don't mind getting on a plane and serving some meals to refugees. I want those that don't mind working in an abandoned hotel kitchen thinking, is there some like rats running around? God wants some people that don't mind getting up at five in the morning to go serve some kids in an asylum. God wants those that don't mind wheeling people in a hospital chair to the church service. God wants those that are going to say, you know what? I'll prepare a way by becoming the least. Come on, people, that deserves some more there. I thought that was a really good stuff. Are you receiving it? Now, this is fantastic news for you and me. Because I don't know about you, but there are times in my life I feel like the least. Anybody? Are you just, just going to act all secure and happy with? Have you felt like the least? I have felt like the least. Trust me. And you might think, but Liam, you're the pastor. Trust me. Man, you start a church and you'll be amazed how quick competition will breed in you. Every Instagram account I see of another church, I'm trying to count how many people they have in the room. And I'm like, Liam, would you stop it? 
Would you stop it? Stop trying, to, you stop trying to make yourself significant. I felt like the least. Trust me, I've made leadership decisions in these six months I wish I'd never made. Can I be real? I've made decisions I wish I did not make. I felt like a terrible leader. God has knocked my confidence. He said, Liam, because God does not want my confidence built on anything else apart from him. I have felt like the least. But church, that is good news if you've ever felt like that. If you've ever felt insecure, if you ever felt downtrodden, you ever felt oppressed, you ever felt not wanted, you ever felt undervalued, and if you felt never thanked, if you felt that people don't see what God has placed in you, well then, amen. You're in good company because God likes to use people exactly like you. Jesus even demonstrated himself I'll become the least. And not only that, people, can I keep preaching? I feel a good flow today. Can I? Come on, give me permission, people. I like it, though. It's nice. Not only do I want to believe in the least of people, I want to believe in the least of situations. I want to believe in every little prayer I pray. Every prayer I pray, when I'm in the car, when I'm distracted, when I'm barely paying attention, but I just say a shoot off a quick little prayer. I want us to believe in that little prayer. I want us to believe in every single Sunday. Every single Sunday is significant to God. When we choose to gather together, even if there's only us, even if in five years' time it's still only us, we're still going to believe in something significant coming. We are just learning right now to behold the king, and then the prophecy will continue. I want us to believe in the the little things. I want us to believe in every leaflet. I want us to believe in every single one of these. Every time I give it out, it goes with God. I want us to believe in every little thing that we offer. Because every little thing that we offer in the hands of God can be multiplied. Five loaves and two fishes feed 15,000, they reckon. My little leaflet passed on can do something significant. Me giving one meal to a refugee is nothing by myself. But with Jesus, with the hand of God upon it, it will multiply. Me praying for that one guy, who knows what leadership I've just untapped. He might be a preacher in his camp. He might start a refugee church. He might grow up and use it later on in life. He might just lead a great family. But that's significant. Still don't believe in short-term mission trips. Do you know that Jonah was a short-term missionary? Mm. Oh, yeah. Come on. Come on. And not only that, he was a reluctant short-term missionary. It was not an insignificant preach, though. When he stood in front of Nineveh, even though he really did not want to be there, and he stood before the most barbaric nation at that time and said, hey, by the way, you're all sinners, and you're all horribly wrong. You are disgusting people. You need to turn around and believe in Jesus. That was his message. That was not a good message, people. 
No love, no analogies, no metaphors, no stories of testimony, nothing that Jesus teaches us to use. He just said it as it is. But it was not an insignificant message. In one short-term mission, he flipped a whole nation. Oh, come on, people, seriously. In one preach, he flipped a nation. Who knows? Who knows, Lorraine? Who knows what young person you impacted? Who know? They might have a dream, and they see you standing next to Jesus. Don't believe me? We heard many stories of refugees having dreams of a man in white. And they might see your face, and they might connect the dots. Who knows? Who knows, Ben? Maybe one day you'll go and preach in Slovakia. And that one preach will flip a nation. It's happened before with a very insignificant man who was reluctant to go. Maybe if you're reluctant to go today, maybe you're just the person that God is going to send to change a nation. I believe in the least of things. Will you join me in believing in this church? Can you go? Will you believe me for this church? If next week, if only two people show up, me and Emily, <laughs> if me and Emily and you show up, will you still believe in the significance of this church? Because I, c- I do not want a people that just believe when it's going well. If that's what you want from church, please go to another one. I want a people that say, Liam, even if everybody walks away, what other option do we have? God has spoken and we're obeying. That's what I want a church for. I want a people that say we believe when it goes wrong. When a mission trip really does not help. When someone tries to preach and they get heckled. When they try and serve at a hospital, but no one wanted to come to the service. When they go into prison, and then they try to preach, and the prison guard says, I'm sorry, you're not welcome back because you were too intense. I want a church that still at that point says, we're still going to go. And I want a church that looks at everybody else in the building and says, you are significant. That doesn't just go, well, it's Liam and Emily, or... You know, some of the people that go and, you know, Ben with his evangelism stories, obviously, you know. No, no, no. You look at everyone. And like Philippians 2, 3 tells us, you consider them with more significance than yourself. Trust me, that's how I try to pastor. I try to set such a good example because I believe, I truly believe that the people I'm setting an example for will be more significant than me. I'm starting to see it. One of my young guys from youth who I pastored for many years, his, his song recently went to the number one in the charts, the, the charts of England. He's number one, Christian guy. He is more significant than me in the world. But trust me, when you get to heaven, we get measured by our obedience, not by how many songs we sold. But everywhere we go, every person you meet afterwards, can you give them a minute longer of your time. If you knew what they would become, you'd invite them around for dinner right now. If you could see what Lemony is going to be, 
If you don't know Lemony, she's a teenager here. If you could see the gold that God placed in her, you would have invited her around for dinner two weeks ago. Can we be a people? I promise I'm coming to a close, but stay with me just for the last three minutes. Is that okay? Give me that three minutes of energy. If you could see what God could do through her, you would give her your time. And you might think, yeah, okay, that's cool when they're young, maybe when they're older. No, 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 still believe. Still believe the Bert's testimony of healing could heal other people. Believe that he's significant. Believe that there's something in you. Believe in the person next to you. There's something in you. Believe that you might just be a policeman, but you're significant. If you knew the impact he would have on the force, you'd have invited around for dinner a long time ago. His name's Duncan, by the way. They like fajitas. That's what we had around their house. If you knew who Jack would be, the leader he will be. You'd have sat down and tried to listen to him even though he's jumping around and fighting Ben at the end of the meeting. Even though he's throwing shoes and looking immature. If you knew what he was going to be, you'd want to sit down and listen to his wisdom. Because then you could say, I was there when it was small beginnings. I didn't despise it when it looked insignificant. I saw something in it. I prepared the way by believing when it was the least. Take a moment. You are not insignificant. Stop basing your significance on the world's measurements. It will not work in the kingdom. Simply base your significance on what God says about you and your response to that. Start believing in this church and this group of people. I don't know where we're going to go. I don't know what nation we're going to impact. I don't know how we're going to touch stains, but we're going to. Consecrate yourself now for tomorrow. God will do amazing things, Joshua 3, 5 tells us. Decide to believe now. Believe in the people you're sitting next to. Believe in them. Believe in your husband, even though they might not be a believer yet. Believe in your wife, even though she may be suffering with stuff in her life. Believe in them. Believe in your kids. How many of you have had people label or try to label your kids? Do not let the world label them. You label them. You speak over them. You tell them what they're going to be. Come on, that's your job as a parent, not just to make sure they get there, but you speak a path for them. Speak the leadership giftings in them. Speak what God has placed in their heart. Speak the pastor out of them. Speak the evangelist through them. We are going to be a church that does not despise the day of small beginnings. That beholds the king when he was the least of the least.